This is uh, Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 23. 23. We uh, uh, we took a long break. Yeah, but we're back on the horse. We're back on the horse on this lovely Wednesday evening. Yeah. Uh, it looks like our last, rec- uh, last episode was done on the 22nd of November before Thanksgiving. Right before Thanksgiving. And then... Uh, I then guess, you moved for like a month. Uh, yes. Although I, that's not entirely the reasons why we took... Breaks, well, no, it's a combination of things. I mean, the move definitely put it put it, you know, a wrench in the works. Yeah. Um, for a couple of weeks, and then you were you got really busy. You're doing some traveling. Yeah, we were up in Vermont with my girlfriend, and then up in Connecticut. Family's here, but but it's all done now. And yeah. Now it's and now it actually is the future because it's 2011. The future. That's actually scary. We're actually past the second of the Arthur C. Clarke. Stories. Oh yeah, I haven't thought about that. Is it, there's three of them, right? Yeah, there's a 2001, 2010, and then 2020, something like that. I don't know. I never read. I never read any of them. I only saw the movies. Same here. I like the second movie. With, uh, yeah, the second movie's good because it's got Roy Schneider or whatever his name is. Roy Schneider and John Lithgow and I think Yakov oh, Yakov is in that, right? Oh, as, as the role. Russian guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually pretty good, as I recall. I, I think he was pretty good. He got all freaked out when he had to go out into space. As one would. Yeah. I've never oh, that's when they space. had to transfer between the two ships? Yep. yep. That's some cool crazy shit. That triangular, like, you know, tunnel thingy that they yeah, linked yeah. up between the two. And then he had to, like, and the thing was spinning, but, but it was still in the middle. So the trick was to, like, to not look at the outer spot and only look at the middle so that you didn't get dizzy. You know... To bring that back into reality, uh, on the Apollo missions, on 15, 16, and 17, Mm -hmm. uh, they had, like, there was the capsule, then behind the capsule was the the so-called service module, which held all the gas and had the big engine. Uh, But in 15, 16, and 17, they put big, giant cameras inside the service module, but the service module gets thrown away on the way back in. So... On the way back from the moon, uh, one of the guys—it was—it was usually the uh, uh, command module pilot—did uh-huh. did a spacewalk, 125,000 miles from the Earth, 125,000 miles from the moon, in absolute nothingness. Like, imagine in front of you is the Earth, behind you is the moon, and in every other direction are hundreds of billions of miles of nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like. The definition of nothing. Yeah. It's the you know? vacuum of space. Yeah. And and these guys did this crazy ass spacewalk, crawled out to get to retrieve the uh the film. And it's always kind of like if I lie in bed at night and I close my eyes and I kind of imagine crawling out of a hatch and having no point of reference anywhere near you. It's not like you're orbiting something or anything mm. like that. You're just in the right. blackness of space. And it always kind of makes me think that that's as close as we've ever come to you know that kind of crazy stuff in the movies. Yeah, it's it's and only three guys have ever done it, which is you know. What do you mean three guys? Well, Apollo fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen are the only guys who actually went out in the middle of nothingness like that. You know, just one guy each. No, I mean, I guess it depends on your definition. I mean, I, 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 the, those early, those early, I guess you can call them first gen spacewalks were probably pretty. Crazy. Oh no no no! There, there, plenty of guys have, have walked in space, but they're always in like an orbit around a planet, you know. So there's this giant reference beneath you. 
Yeah, and these guys were. I mean, well, you could see all of the Earth and all of the Moon like as big circles way out in the distance. But these guys weren't like holding still. I mean, they were moving. They were on their way. They, I mean, they had to, how did what? How did that work? Do you yeah, know how that but, worked? But, I mean, did they when they when they? I mean, how do they know? Where the film was, I mean, was it in some large container that they had like a, a radio beacon that they could hone in on or something? Or well, I mean, this, I mean, these ships are not that big. I mean, they were only they're they're only thirty feet around. You know what I mean? No, so, I know. Oh, but so, so the the parts, so they basically knew what part to go for. Because yeah, once yeah, the yeah. part goes away, I mean, the part is never going to stop moving because you know. Oh no, no, no! They did this while they were still connected. Oh, so they're they're going back. They go get the stuff. They bring it in and they detach. Uh, See what I'm saying? I understand. See, I thought you were saying how they like. Oh, they didn't crawl the between thing, the two, and the but thing just, was like left fo- sort of flying around random space. No, no, no. Well, and it, they it had did, to go find it. It did eventually, but <laughs> that'd you know. be cool, like yeah. a space scavenger hunt. But it's still kind of nuts that they even, you know, they were all crawling out on this thing in the middle of nothing. Well, yeah, they, they do that on the space shuttle all the time. Dude. Yeah, but they they have the big giant Earth below them. The space shuttle is only, you know, 120,000 well, like miles up. catch them if they fall? <laughs> well, no, no, but I mean, but it's just, I mean, just from a psychological sense, I guess I is what, what it is. I see what you mean, yeah. The whole concept of, like, just, you know, you're out there and nothing. That but, that was also one of the creepier um, moments in the first movie in 2001. Yeah. When, when the other dude got, like, just ejected into space by Hal. Yeah. You know, even though he was in his suit, um, he was just sent off, like, flying. You're like, just going to go forever. Yeah, that would that would really suck. That would you know if you were in that situation mm. and you had control over your air supply, would you keep breathing or would you do something to just end the pain? Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think you'd be in pain, would you? I mean, well, no, I just mean that like you know you knew what was coming. Oh, and you just do you just, sit there you and just, agonize over it for seven hours that you have enough air or whatever you know? Yeah, or do I you mean, just go well, or you know? I, I guess. I mean, I've never really thought about it. That I mean, if I would probably just you know stay alive for as long as I could, and once the oxygen ran out, I would I would uh, asphyxiate or whatever happens to you up there, or maybe would be ca- carbon dioxide. Maybe you know you could fall asleep or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think you actually would fall asleep for lack of oxygen. But yeah. still, man, just what a way to go. That would be that would pretty suck. awful. But, okay, just to go back, I mean, these movies were made, obviously, a long time ago. They didn't know what it was going to be like nowadays. But it is kind of funny how things like the Internet have really taken over, but we're not doing that much fancy stuff in space like that, you know? Yeah, space kind of got the shit under the stick. Well, because, uh, I mean, is there a real reason for us to be... I mean, look, I'm a huge proponent of manned space flight. Are you? But, yeah, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for that, because that's the cool stuff that we do with a lot of money like other than blowing people up we don't do stuff big you know i guess i i've thought about it a little bit man and i got it i don't know i think what there, there's a combination of problems to me um what, what's happened is i think and this might sound a little whatever, crass or callous or whatever you want to call it but honestly i think the problem is that these days uh the general consensus is that a human life is worth more than it really is. Um, if that makes any sense. I, I mean like, no. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Pe- it's like, I just, people are, people are squeamish. I guess about so. People dying. I guess so. I mean, the way I look at it is if, if, if a dude, you know, signs up, he like volunteers yeah. to, you know, to, 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 to get killed. I mean, well, here, here's an interesting way to look at it. Look at, look at the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, religious 
activists, you know, guys, suicide bombers who, you know, readily and willingly volunteer to, to, to do whatever, you know, to kill themselves for whatever this cause or this belief is. You know, you can't really put a price on that. I understand that, but it's like, uh, why it, it should go both ways. If a dude is willing to get into a spaceship uh, and, and go out and do this thing, knowing that there's a one in five chance he's not coming back, or no, no, knowing that there is no chance of him coming back, like literally, like volunteering oh, okay. to go to, to do something to you know because to save the money and to save the energy. It's like you know, I think one of the uh, one of the one of the whatever you want to call it questions or challenges of, of sending guys out you know really really far is the whole concept of bringing them back. Yeah. Well, what if a guy volunteered to not come back? And, you know, he could still get a shitload of work done over that period of time. Yep. And just plan on dying out there of, how, no, whatever, of whatever kills him. You know, why don't well, they there, do that? There were certainly plans to get people to Mars and then figure out a way to get him back. Like, get him there, <laughs> set him yeah. up so they can survive, and then we'll figure out how to get him back eventually. And, and that makes sense. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know why that they don't do that. I mean, I don't know. It, it, at the, at well, the, same the question time, is whether... Other than the idea of the the poet, you know the, the the guy who that humans have experienced what flying around the moon or walking on the moon. I mean, yeah, I guess we you know we we sent one geologist to the moon to look look around, but like mostly it was just guys who were like quasi trained at doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, there's plenty of argument in the space industry that says this is stupid. There's no reason why we need to send people. We can send because I mean the problem with sending people is that you have to send oxygen, you have to send food, you have you have to keep yeah. the people alive. You know, totally. And, That's another good argument. And all of that money and weight could be spent sending equipment and stuff that can actually just do the job for you. You know, totally. Um, I mean, look at these look at these little Mars rovers we sent the Spirit and Opportunity. Yeah. Those things were supposed to go for like three months, and they went for like ten years. That's true. You know. Um, it, you know, it's funny. People complain when we lose a probe. You know, when all those Mars probes disappeared and whatever. Yeah. But then they don't really say anything when these things go ten times longer than they were supposed to. You know, yeah. the Hubble was never supposed to last this long. <laughs> no, it's true. Here it is, still kicking along. So it's sort of like the ones that do make it, sort of quadruple what they were supposed to do, which kind of makes up for the ones that don't make it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of retarded. Know. So, I mean, there's a lot of people in the space industry that say, well, what's the point of sending people up uh, at all nowadays? Like, our sensors are so good. Our computers are so good. But I guess, I mean, there's an argument to say a human experiencing it means something. Yeah. I, I, but I, I don't, But that's a very ethereal kind of argument that's very difficult to quantify. Yeah, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, you, if it were up to me, I would probably lean towards sending robots you know with cameras and recording equipment up there first rather than people um i think i think the the main problem is like you say um well the, the main problem is that we still haven't cracked the the traveling faster thing i think we need yeah. to solve this whole you know the ability to either to do one of two things to either um somehow travel faster than the speed of light or ridiculously close to the speed of light, you know, sure. really, 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 really fast or figure out a way to do the whole, um, molecular, you know, scanning and reproduction trick, yeah. you know, like basically yeah. like the, you know, star Trek style transporter slash replicator yeah. technology, the ability the to faxing physical objects. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, cause then what theoretically what you could do is you, you know, you send, 
the the equipment, the receiving equipment, up to wherever the hell you want to go, and then even though even if there's a delay, uh, as long as you can send the signal and you know make sure it's a nice clean error corrected signal, right. um, it, it could take a week to send the signal, but at least you'll you'll be able to transport the th- the thing or the things up there without having to spend any any money on it. Yeah. What do well, you think I mean, of? What do I think of what? I was going to say, what do you think of the space elevator? Uh, I think the space elevator is a very neat idea. Uh, huh. I mean, I guess the problem is the weight of the ribbon, right? So the, they've been talking carbon nanotubes are, yeah, are I, possibilities. I guess. Um, I mean, it's the space elevator is probably the way it's going to go because pushing things off the Earth with chemical explosives is <laughs> it's a big freaking, giant waste of time. Yeah, dude, it's like it's like you know. Yeah, it it's couldn't be co- technology. Basically, it couldn't be more inefficient. Yeah, um, but but you know it's kind of funny even with uh, like going faster than speed of light like that whole argument. Um, people say you know it's it's not worth trying to go to another planet until we can go that fast because even if you said okay well we have the technology to send them eighty percent the speed of light let's just do it and they can just live you know multiple lifetimes generations on the way over and it's kind of like yeah but. In another generation on Earth, we will have come up with ninety percent the speed of light, and they're going to pass them on the way. <laughs> That's you true. know because so there's all that kind of thing. But then you know the people that are on those ships, time's passing slower for them, so there really is no reason to come back because you're coming back to a completely different world than you left. You know, there gets in, it gets into all that kind of crazy stuff. That's, yeah, it's another interesting uh, another interesting point. But I mean, th- I mean that's science fiction craziness. Which I don't, I don't know what the answer is, you know? No, nobody knows what the answer is, dude. But, you know, you got to wonder, you know, you know, there's lots of people who say, you know, eventually a civilization like ours will get rid of biology because it's inefficient and doesn't really make any sense, you know, that we will replicate our minds digitally and then we can, quote unquote, live forever. I mean, I see that as a more reasonable, you know, likelihood um than some other things people have proposed. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny. I was thinking about Inception the other day, and you know how the, the, the wife... You, you've seen this movie, right? I have. Okay. So so the wife thinks that wherever world that he thinks is the real world is not the real world, and so she wants to go to the real world, right? You know, that's the basic gist of that thing. Uh-huh. I mean, but if you can't tell what is and what is not the real world, then couldn't any of them be real? You know, like, I mean... You, you start to question like what is reality and how do you know what reality is? Yeah. I mean, th- I think that that's the premise of that film. Right. But I mean, but it's really a thing. So, I mean, there's people who say, yeah, okay, you can replicate my mind in a, in a machine, but like, that's not real. It's like, well, what the hell is real? You know, your mind is just a bunch of chemicals and a bunch of cells in your head and you think it's real as it is. So that's true. I mean, you could also make the argument about the matrix, you know, yeah, absolutely. What's so wrong with living in this idealized thing that the that they made you want to live in? You know, I don't. I, man, I yeah, I, I I agree. I think uh, I think it'd be neat to live in a in a thing like that. It's it's just. I mean, it's, sure. Th- there's definitely a creepy side to it for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, um, the the question yeah. is, Dan, is that if you get to the point where you're doing that and you have you know von Neumann probes, you know, like things that can self replicate and stuff. I mean. Mm-hmm. W- sending things to other planets isn't about you know putting a bunch of people in a ship and shooting it in one direction it's just about like populating outward information you know you mm-hmm. can you could travel at the speed of light just by sending us as information you know outward over time you know it's like you get into those kinds of crazy things you know 
Yeah. yeah. So, so the idea that even if aliens exist and they are contacting us or they are traveling to us, the idea that they're still biological beings is kind of like, well, that's sort of a weird bias. Yeah, I would agree. That we have. I don't know. It's, it's weird. And it's the kind of stuff that makes you think, is the future really going to be what we think it's going to be? You know? I mean, even within our lifetimes, things are going to change a lot more than we think. Do you think so? I think so. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, th- that's something that I've, I've thought about. Um, I recently uh, had a relative die, um, which, you know, whenever somebody dies, you know, especially someone old, you know, people who are up in their 80s and 90s. Yeah. You think about what it was like when they were kids. and You do. But, and, but here's the thing. I think there's a misconception. I think there's a, a, a misconception that, oh, my, you know, when, when grandpa was around, you know, they were just getting telephones and electricity yeah. and da, da, da. But I think we, we, we've sort of excelled or whatever you want to call it, advanced or got to a certain, certain point where we're, I think we're at a, kind of a plateau right now. You think so? Yeah. Well, it's a combination of, of, of the, of the evolution of technology and, um, and, and then our population fits in there too. You know, like, like part of the technology is that this, some of the stuff that nature, some of the controls that nature had in place to, to kind of keep, keep, uh, humans or any kind of breeding, you know, sort of in check, um, are being defeated and reverse engineered um, by man, you know, like we're figuring out how to, how to work around all these, these diseases and, and things that, you know, mother nature would normally just kind of be considered part of the, uh, you know, part of the world, the way the world works. And uh, I think that's going to get more and more. I mean, I, my, my guess is that, you know, the technology, medical technology, biology, you know, biology, whatever you want to call it, it's going to get, to the point where we're going to be able to synthesize, you know, completely bypass like mother nature, as far as this is, you know, being able to sustain, to sustain, um, human yeah, life. You can, you can live forever if you want. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, that seems to be where we're headed. Um, and then, so then the question becomes, it's like, all right, well, let's say once we get there and on my, my, if, you, if I did guess, man, I'm going to guess that we're probably going to miss that. Um, I, I would guess it, it's still another 50 to, 80 years off from here. Um, so I think we'll be too old to, uh, to participate in that. See, I don't, you know, it's one of those things where back in the late 1800s, they discover the electron and everyone's just like, Oh, well the electron, whatever. And now it, our entire society is based on the electron, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I think that there's a lot of stuff going on. Like that guy a couple of years ago who cut off a chunk of his finger and then, you know, through some crazy uh, powder, you put this powder onto the wound, and then over time, his finger grew back because it was like this crazy regenerative powder made of uh, uh, um, uh, some kind of extracellular matrix and, and, and stem cells and stuff. It's like the idea that we can grow back body parts. I mean, they're, starting, they're yeah. starting to do that stuff. Really? I hadn't heard yeah. about that one. That sounds yeah. crazy. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, at the point at which, you know, my father died of pancreatic cancer. At the point at which they can go, okay, your pancreas is, is no good. We're going to cut it out and grow a new one. Or not even that. We're <laughs> going to grow you a new one, and when it's ready, we're going to cut yours out and put the new one in. Exactly. You know, it's just, it's just kind of, it's I don't know, it's just kind of... 
I think that stuff is actually closer than you think. Oh, I, I agree. I think it's coming. I mean, did you ever see... Um, uh, I, I, we keep referring to sci-fi movies here. Did you ever see Bicentennial Man? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to say that that was a terrific movie. I guess it was based on a... An it Asim, had some interesting concepts. Book. But there are some... Yeah, like like the fact that the dude, he was, he was in like the right place at the right time and, you know, was able to make these synthetic organs you know parts that eventually you know he replaced all of his mechanical ones with these synthetically engineered biological ones you know yeah it's kind of cool it is totally cool and i mean that gets into the whole question of then at what point is something human or not human you know right if we start replacing parts with mechanic that's a good question i mean will 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 we start replacing hearts with real hearts or will we replace them with pumps that do it better uh, well, I, I think it's. I think it's. If I had to put my money on 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 one of those two, I would put them on actual hearts. I think what they will. What, what's more likely to happen is we're going to figure out the way. One of the number one challenges in that in that field right now is is compatibility and you know organ yeah um, rejection. You know because yep. we've we've been able to. I mean, there've been crazy scientists over the years who've you know mixed and matched parts from all all sorts of different mammals and what have you, you know, like putting yeah, pig yeah, yeah. hearts and monkeys and monkey hearts and people and whatever. But, um, I think the problem is, is, you know, there's a slight incompatibility. So I think what's, what's, what's more likely to happen is we're going to crack that problem and figure out a way to sort of, you know, lowest common denominator it or zero it out. Um, and then it'll work out. Everything will work just fine, you know, or they'll figure out a way to sort of make like a, a universal, you know, like kind of like what's what's what is it? A B is that the o. blood type that's uh, that works every, with everyone? Oh, is oh, is it o? O is universal? So yeah. they'll figure out a way, like to make you know organs that are like that too. You yep. know, um, and then and then it'll be what'll be really weird is then um, how how's that going to be handled? You know, so, like society wise, like let's say it becomes commonplace for um, you know organs to be grown or produced somehow and it's like well what happens then does your insurance cover that i mean do you have, yeah, to, buy, well, do you have, do you have to buy it yeah do you have to get on a line somewhere it's like it costs yeah it costs hundred what's hundred million dollars to grow a thing like who's going to be who, able to do it yeah well but then you know what's that going to do to the uh the black market on the organ selling market yeah. you know market well, i mean up? that's <laughs> that's the funny thing about even like the healthcare stuff they're talking about now and the people get upset and say you know they're going to start you know, telling me what I can and cannot do in treatment. It's like, well, there is a cost effectiveness question here. You know, mm-hmm. like you're dying. It, I could spend $4 trillion to have you survive. Well, obviously no one's going to spend four trillion. There is no $4 trillion to spend, you know? So there absolutely, there totally is a cost effectiveness equation there, you know? Yeah. And, so, and, and, and to, to, to deny that is absurd, you know, like but, to, to yeah, say, no, we're going to do anything we can, you know, it's, it's just pulling on the heartstrings, you know? No. Yeah. Uh, and what I was going to say is, um, another factor to sort of consider in what we were just talking about, as far as the cost of things, um, it becomes the, what's the, what's the, what's the value of a human life? You know, it's like, it's just like what we're saying about sending people into space to die. You know, it's like, uh, how much, like how there has to be some sort of a number, you know? And I guess that's the, that's the, that's the job of an insurance. It's cold and terrible, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to come off as crass to say that, but you got to wonder, it's like, does it, I mean, 
this, all right, so this is this is a situation that just happened recently. Um, so my my mother's sister, my aunt, um, was recently diagnosed with um, I can't remember the official name of it. It's basically cancer of the blood. Okay, some sort of a deal, and, and it was related to her kidneys. And basically, it, in, within the space of about four months. Um, she went from fully functional to completely, you know, the last, like the last month, um, she was, you know, she, she was bedridden. She couldn't, she couldn't get up. Like her body was basically failing. Sure. And what really, I don't know, what really bugged me was how the, the you know, it, the social aspect of it, the, the whole, like the doctors basically telling her family that there was, you know, stuff that they can do to maybe fix it. And it's yeah. like. For me, maybe and I get this from my mom because she, my, my mother, um, before she retired, worked in uh, a kidney dialysis um, ward as a uh, as a social worker. Okay. Um, so kidney dialysis is basically um, cleaning cleaning your blood. It's when you, when your kidneys yep. fail on you, you need to basically rely on a machine to do the job that your kidneys do, which is obviously, you know, cleaning your blood. And it's, it's, you know, it's no fun, dude. I mean, you, yeah, if you're seriously ill and you, you know, your kidneys are seriously fucked up, you need to basically get this done three times a week. You know, yeah. and so, some people, you know, can get by with once a week or once a month or whatever. But the long and the short of it is when you're in, in on this system, when you're on the dialysis tip, you're, you know, your shit's broken and it's just a matter of time before, you know, everything else sort of starts to fail, you know? So yeah, naturally it's, it's, you know, my mom, you know, her department, her, so, you know, she was, it was, and this was a big company. There was like, I think they had, they managed anywhere between a hundred and 150 patients. And there was like three or four of them, three or four social workers on her team. Um, cause you know, that's a really tough pill to swallow and a big, big, hard thing to deal with. Um, mentally, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big toll. But the, the point of me bringing this up is that she's, she, you know, she had a good 10 years of experience in dealing with watching people die slowly and, you know, and, and had a whole, she developed this whole appreciation for, you know, the quality of life. Yeah. And she, she made my sister and I promise years ago that if it ever got to the point where she was sick enough that she had to be sustained by a machine or some other apparatus that, you know, she wasn't able to, to, you know, live of her own accord and her quality of life, you know, reached a certain level that we, you know, had to promise not to, not to waste all this time, money and, and energy, you know, spinning our wheels, trying to, you know, trying to make it last a little longer. You yeah. Know? And I, I gotta say, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, I think, um, I just, yeah, I, I would never want to want to be that, you know, I would never want to be hooked up to a machine or, or anything like that. I, I it's think just, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, we can, we can keep her alive for another two weeks. If we do all this stuff, it's like, well, yeah, but two weeks of what? Like yeah, her, so, like it really, yeah. you really got to question that stuff. But it then, sucks. So, I mean, so here's the, here's the thing. So my, my aunt, she knew like two or three months in, she knew that this was like, she could see the physics. She could feel herself yeah. shutting down slowly. Sure. And towards the last, towards the, towards the end for like the last three or four weeks, um, she was being extremely stubborn and, you know, didn't want to take any of the medicine and didn't want to eat and didn't want to, you know, she was doing all of this stuff, like rejecting it, trying to convince the rest of her family that she was ready to go. 
Uh, and the only person in, you know, the only person who would listen to her was my mom, but you know, my mom is just, a, you know, just a, one of the family. She, you know, my aunt had, you know, two kids with grandkids and a whole, whole bunch of other people. And so there's only so much she could do, you know? And everyone else was like, no, we got to try the new drugs and whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these things are expensive, man. These chemo shots cost like, like what? 1500 bucks a pop or something yeah, like that. I'm, like really expensive. Yeah. And, um, and it just got to the point where it's like, finally, um, I think she, she wound up having some sort of an accident and wound up having to go to the emergency room. And it was then and there, and this was about a week ago where she finally like was able to open everyone's eyes and explain to them that, look, this is the end and I'm ready to go. And then finally, you know, my mom, you know, was like, see, I told you, (laughs) you know, and and then, and then everyone started to, uh, you know, kind of fall in line and, and sure enough, um, she passed away the other day. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm too. It's sad, but at the same time, when 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 that kind of shit happens, when you when you get sick, I I I, I don't know. I mean, I I think that if if you're in a situation where you 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 contract some sort of a um, a terminal illness, some some mm-hmm. sort of disease that has no 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 kind of cure, and it's going to you know destroy your body in some way, or you know how you're going to die. That's kind of like a weird gift in a way. You know, it's like a weird plus. Because if you think about it, the, the two big mysteries in life are when and how yeah. you're going you're gonna to die. You really don't know that. You know, yeah. nobody, nobody knows that. Uh, and, and if you're sort of granted that knowledge, I think there's, as, as shitty as that is, you know, it, it, there's something about that that's also really cool. You know, there's, there's something really special about yeah. knowing how... And approximately when you're going to die. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that your body, you know, I, I remember uh, with my father, you know, he got, uh, he was in the hospital with a problem with the, with the, uh, he, he had an infection. And the doctor came and looked at all his charts and this new specialist, whatever it is, and just came in and basically said, we well, could do more chemo, but the chemo is going to kill you anyway. <laughs> like, sorry, there's just nothing we can do. Yeah. And this guy was like this real hotshot from Sloan Kettering, like this like real, you know, the guy. Uh-huh. And, and my father said to him, you know, I really thought you were going to come in here and be my savior. And, and the guy's like, yeah, sorry, like there's nothing we can do. We can send you home and, you know, we can make you comfortable, the usual stuff. Yeah. So that was on Monday. And they said that my father would probably live probably uh, a week to a month, depending on, you know, whatever. And we took him home on Tuesday, and he died Friday morning. Whoa. And, you know, and it's just, you know, and I think a lot of it was just this mental thing. Like, my father, it's like somebody said, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. My father's, his mind resigned to that fact. Right. And then his body was just like, well, then why are we doing this? Yeah, and then everything. I mean, you you hear that same story um, about old couples. How like the, you know, the one, like the wife dies at 89 and then the other one dies within six months because uh, dies of loneliness or a broken heart or whatever, you know, just the shock of, of, of not having this person who you've been with for your whole life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And that's totally what happens. And it's just, but it's amazing that your body can do that. You know, I think it's neat. It's, it's more than your body. I mean, it's your brain. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you how much power your brain has over these things. You know, not in like a, my brain will fix my tumor kind of way, but in a, you know, it's the placebo effect kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. You ever listen to that, uh, that show, um, Radio Lab? I've listened to a lot of Radio Lab, yeah. 
did uh, they had a, an episode I don't know how far back where they talked about that whole thing the placebo effect yeah. and how it really <laughs> it's way more powerful than people seem to understand yeah um, you but know, then you I, get in you get into a bit of a, a a moral dilemma because it's like if you know that a sugar pill is going to make them feel better because do you tell them it's a sugar pill or do you tell them that it's something real you know you get into those kinds of yeah yeah, I mean, I've I've had interesting little placebo effect experiments just with computers, where sometimes you tell somebody that you you fixed it, and even though that you know that you, there's nothing going on with their computer, the fact that you told them that it's good now means it's good now. You know? Oh and yeah. I, I well, mean, there was a thing I read recently said that um, it was either chiropractics or it was one of, one of those you know kind of quasi alternative medicine kind of things, uh-huh. and they were saying that. It only made people feel better if they knew that it if if they knew they had gotten the treatment. You see what I'm saying? Like like knowing that they got the treatment is what made them feel better. Not but like if you said, I think it was some kind of weird thing that like they fell asleep or something like that, right? And then they did the treatment, mm. and that like if they saw a video of themselves getting it done, like if they actually knew that it happened, they felt better. But if they didn't, they didn't. So it's like the treatment wasn't working you know what i mean like the yeah it wasn't real it was all just this weird crazy perception thing and i've heard um, i've heard stories about um a recent i think i can't remember what the disease was but some so i think it was maybe people quitting smoking or some sort of anxiety thing yeah. i don't remember what it was but people who knew like actually knew that the thing that they were taking wasn't was basically just a placebo but they still did it and it still helped yes because they because they still sort of believed in it it's very odd yeah, the, my, the, the problem is finding where the line is between that and actual things that are actually helping on a, a clinical level. You know? Yeah, the one story that really stick, stuck out of my head was the one where they're talking about the uh, the medicine man story. Do you remember that one? I don't. Where they were basically saying how this guy, you know, he was a younger younger dude, you know, medicine man in training, and he was he was being taken taken around, shown the ropes by this, you know, obviously this old shaman type medicine man guy um and he told the story about how one of the techniques that they use is to effectively um what's the best way to explain it to sort of suck out the sickness to you know to basically so you put your mouth to the person's chest or something like that and then you make a you know obviously a big song and dance and this and that and then you pull out you know, miraculously, this this bloody thing from the person's chest, yeah, and spit it out, uh, and then what it really is is like a piece of cotton that the guy had in his mouth the whole time, yeah. and then and then he bites on this little thing, and then it gets bloody, and then he spits it out, and and because it's so dramatic and so effect, blah blah blah, it it seems to work, yeah, and the, you yeah. know, and, and they like he's tra- and then he so he saw it he saw it himself like two or three times, and it worked every time, and then he tried it himself two or three times, and it worked every time. Um, like curing, you know, I don't know what the diseases they were curing were. I don't think it was anything major. I think it was like the flu or something like that. But um, still, you gotta you gotta wonder about that. That's a pretty interesting. It's totally uh, crazy scenario. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know, and it goes to question, you know, medicine and all that. I mean, I'm I'm very much a Western medicine kind of guy. I think that if a lot of these other crazy things actually worked as well as they say, then they would have been pulled into scientific Western medicine. For you know sure. what I mean? Like, <laughs> if if sticking people with needles really worked, then 
people would have been doing it, you know, would be doing it now and actually getting real results, you know? Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I saw a woman on the train today with a homeopathy book. Uh-huh. You know, all that stuff where they like water down and like dilute things 40 billion times. And then it's still supposed to like have some memory of the stuff that was in it originally, even though it's all water, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yes. I mean, it just becomes, it, it's, it's really, it's comes down to your belief in the thing, you know, and mm. I, but in, it's funny because getting back to the futurist concept, I mean, you'd think that that stuff would lessen over time, but in many ways, I feel like p- more people believe it probably because the things that are actual scientific that do good are beyond their comprehension, you know, they, yeah. they can't understand a particular drug or whatever it is, you know. Right, because you know, this was given to me by uh, a you know a, a, a wise ancient you know elder or yeah. an, or, or a, a doctor who has gone to many many years of medical school and who can name every bone in the human body you know who yeah. studied for long long periods of time and blah 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 yeah I think that makes sense. It is so it's interesting. It's like people are just like, well, you know, this is like some crazy new modern thing that I don't understand. So it's this other thing I don't understand is probably just as good. You know, it's like, yeah. well, no, not not so much. But okay, you know, you believe what you <laughs> want to believe. But hey, you know, people try all kinds of stuff. But uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, um, do you think that? Do you think going back to the future thing, privacy is going to get better or worse or? people aren't going to care how could it get any better dude i mean i think the problem is um no to answer your question immediately i think it's going to get worse but more so than that more significantly than that i think what's going to happen is these younger generations these younger kids now as as they grow up and because you know we were talking about this before i mean when we were younger there was no real concept of the internet. There was no concept of instant gratification, like yeah. being able to sit down at the television, pushing two buttons and then watching that, that episode of that obscure TV show that you wanted to watch. That was like, that was, you know, no one even thought of that, you know, that wasn't yeah. even like, That's on dream the radar. World. Yeah. Oh my God, I need to watch the new, you know, that old a team episode. I mean, up until recently, that was not something you could do. No, of course. I mean, and you can even, and so that, I think that's going to have a huge effect on on future generations as, as as culture and talent and entertainment are cultivated. Um, I was listening to I can't remember one of the one of the recent pod, one of the podcasts I listened to. I can't remember who it was, but they had a really good point. And you could probably relate to this because we you know we're in our I guess are now our our mid thirties. Yeah, because <clears throat> I'm thirty six now. Yeah, happy birthday. Thanks. Um, but uh, I can remember the days when I was a little kid and one of my friends, you know, had a VCR mm-hmm. and, you know, he, we would either watch like uh, a movie like like Airplane or E.T. or, you know, some my, my sister, for example, was hooked on uh, Guys and Dolls. Um, I think that was what it was, you know, the Warner Brothers musical movie. Sure. Um, and then as I got older. You know, I would tape shit off of HBO and Comedy Central and MTV, you know, those cartoons and, and, and you know, animation shows and, and comedy specials and, and, you know, just stuff because there was no way if I didn't, if I wasn't there at that time, ready to, ready with the VCR, uh, there was no way I could record that. There was no way I could like, there was no, they didn't sell that stuff in stores. Yeah. You know, I, I, I knew, I didn't know that that was going to be available in seven, six, seven months, you know, down at the, at the, whatever, at the Tower Records or whatever you want to call it. You know, that's, sure, that's yeah. just not the way it worked. 
um, we didn't have as many choices. And so when we took what we had and we just we really embraced it and we listened to it over and over again and, and got really good. And I, I think the same thing can be said for music. You know, there was just less good music out um there there was less there were less people out there making stuff so you could you could afford to just sort of hunker down and and like get all of the albums by your favorite artist and then just sit there and listen to them because there weren't that many people you know it wasn't as easy to make a record that is widely distributable you know you just couldn't and so you tended to listen to stuff more than you do now. right and so you got to know it and then and then you learned the lessons you would from spending that kind of time you know, repeatedly listening to that thing over and over and over again, and then you got good at it. So, so, so what's happening now is is the younger people, um, the you know younger generation, because they have this sort of instant gratification with these unlimited choices, supersized, blah blah, yeah. high speed. I don't. I mean, I, I think there's this weird correlation between the attention span. And the expectations, as far as privacy is concerned, like sure. I'm sure little kids and you know people who are who are growing up with the internet and growing up with Facebook, are just learning that oh okay of course I don't have privacy I'm not going to post that someone's going to see that blah 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 you know like stuff yeah, that yeah, yeah. like you know older folks who are late to that party, um you know didn't are even putting consider. up big alarms around yeah yeah didn't consider you know and it's like well that's going to be the norm that's going to be the norm for them so we're the ones who are at a loss because we're just, you know, we weren't around when that, you know, when that stuff was, was being developed. You know, well, you know it's, it's funny. The, the doctor who has their Christmas episode every year and usually it shows on Christmas day in Britain. And then in the past few years, it's shown like weeks later in America on BBC America. Uh-huh. Now, of course, all of like the big sci-fi doctor who nerds have already downloaded it. Uh-huh. on BitTorrent or wherever it is and watched it within hours of it showing. Sure. So this year they decided to learn from that and they actually said, we found that all of our fans were downloading it. So we decided to show it on Christmas Day here too. Which which Duh. is this... Right, right. This is like... this. It took you that long to figure this out? <laughs> um, but it just goes to show you how, how backwards their, their thinking is from another era you know but yeah. it's it's kind of crazy how all this online stuff has changed so quickly because even the five or six hours depending on daylight savings time that we are behind london if they show it at eight o'clock in london that's three o'clock in the afternoon here and if they show it at eight o'clock here those five hours the real nerds have already watched it you know right. yeah so it's, it's kind of like you what you need to do is just sort of release things at a certain time greenwich mean time yeah and then let people watch it Whenever they they can. Exactly. The concept of like scheduled, the only thing I think that really still fits into the scheduled, um, whatever you want to call it, the scheduled, uh, you know, having to be there at the right time to watch it, um, are like sporting events, um, live press, you know, things, things that, you know, that are happening live, like live coverage, Anything that's been pre-recorded, a movie, a television, you know, like an episodic television show, like a, you know, a produced television show like Doctor Who or whatever, I don't, I don't understand why they even bother, like worrying about scheduling them. I mean, I honestly, if we, if I had to guess, my 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 thing is that uh, in the future, um, the concept of television scheduling is going to be a thing of the past. It's not going to well, matter. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a generational thing and, and they're going to hold on to it as long as they can because they say, well, advertisers are trying to buy for this slot and that's what we're selling. Like the, the whole thing is built around that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it's funny that, you know, even, but even internet television, the whole idea that like, you know, after we hang up, I can go get the Doctor Who thing and watch it. I mean, that's pretty new. 
that's what two or three years that things yeah. have actually worked that way that it's that it's like official yeah yeah that, that it's actually better to watch television on your internet than it is in a browser than it is to have a tv yeah you know i mean that's like in the last year it's definitely i mean and you know now you look at these devices like boxy and yeah, apple tv roku and, and TV. all those things yeah yeah and then the whole streaming netflix thing yeah but i mean, I mean that stuff was like weird out on the fringe i just don't understand ago. why it took so long because i remember having a conversation with my pals like back in 1997 like when mp3s first came out and you know when, yeah. when when way before apple had an ipod you know and there was no there, you know the concept of a portable mp3 player was was still way off and you know people looked at me funny for like ripping my cds manually <laughs> um and they're like why are you doing that i'm like it just because it's more convenient dude um but there was just you know we were talking about that long ago like being able to do like a la carte um entertainment like i want to just be able to subscribe to this one channel you know charge yeah. me don't charge me 90 dollars. charge me the five dollars for this one channel and you've got me but look at how much look at you I mean you you listen to radio lab and i listen to like those stuff how stuff you should know podcasts and all that kind of stuff i subscribe to those those go on my phone whenever they come out with new ones i don't even think about it you know yeah and i mean that's the kind of stuff i watch even more than watching television shows like i watch stupid podcasts with leo laporte you know like yeah it's but you know the fact that that stuff has gotten to the point where it's as important to me as the new episode of house is pretty impressive yeah it's true i mean and i think i i guess i'm just surprised that it took this long i, I am too but i i think that those people are going to it's like the music industry they didn't learn and then they kind of got beat down and now it's like but now the tv and the movie industry is doing the same damn thing yeah know? i mean it was only a couple of years ago they started having simultaneous releases of movies around the world you know it used to take another six months to watch you know a team in london well, part of that is because they also, you know, it took a minute for them to localize it as far as making the overdubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, the, sure. Yeah. But it's still just impressive, you know. It is. It's true. Now now that stuff gets built in right when they're building the entire film. Right. As opposed to having to wait. And digital distribution. Yep. Which is, you know, is really funny because the, the uh, Panavision and whoever else, you know, Technicolor, the people who used to actually do the prints for the, for the movies uh-huh. are the companies that do the transmission to the theaters. Did you know that? No, that's it's like, it's almost as if they they walked they took over the new way of doing the thing that they've always done. Right, rather than uh, rather than letting some new hotshot company that you know that they're like we already have the distribution network, we already have things with all these theaters, we already know you know us, you trust us, sure. So we'll do it for you. It's just like uh, yeah, just like the camera companies, just like you know Hasselblad comes out with their own digital back. Well, did you ever see? uh, Did you ever uh, read um, the world is flat? the Friedman book, Mm, Tom Friedman. He was saying that, you know, uh, a lot of people don't realize, but UPS makes a ton of their money in consulting. What do you mean consulting? Well, here's the thing. If you, his example is if you buy a Toshiba laptop, right? Uh Uh, and you send it in for warranty repair, you ship it to, you know, some address to Toshiba warranty repair, whatever it goes to Kentucky, right? Is that, I think that's where UPS main hub is. Uh-huh. Lexington, I think, or something. So it goes there, and it goes into a warehouse at the airport where they have clean rooms and technicians that work for UPS that replace your hard drive or motherboard or whatever it is and ship it back to you. Toshiba never gets it. Okay. So, so the idea is that, like, you know, they're not just shipping, but they're just, like, the thing that's at the end of the shipping, we'll do that too. 
Wow. You know, it's kind of like people take these, you know, the, the, the way business is changing, you know? Well, yeah, I've heard it's that, interesting. Like, that's, that's how companies like uh, Newegg and Zappos and um, there's one or two other, you know, these big name online yeah. retailers, they're able to like ship these things instantly because, you know, they've headquartered themselves like they've combined right next to the, the warehouse with the with the shipper, you know, so it's like this stuff yeah. is literally right in their backyard. There's no traveling from the store to the airport you know, to the thing that love me some new egg. Yeah. The stuff lives at the airport. That's how it works. It's pretty cool. It's, you know, eventually though, you know, I mean, some people say that we're going to get rid of these optical drives on computers very, very soon. Optical Um, drives. You mean like disc DVDs and CDs and stuff? Yeah. I don't know about that. Well, you know, what do you, what do you really need one for now? Uh Oh, Oh, I, I, I don't personally need them, but, uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, like pretty soon if, if, if Apple, you know, is launching their app store tomorrow, if, if all your apps are in some sort of digital locker and it just downloads them and installs them, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, the other, the other cool thing, have you seen, I don't know if you saw, well, I'm sure you know that the MacBook airs, the little ones, mm-hmm. uh, are both optical drive free. They don't have mm-hmm. optical drive. So Apple has included now this cute little thumb drive. Which has yeah, the OS, has the OS on, it. on it, right? Yeah, and I which, don't understand why they don't do that more. Because man, I can't tell you the one thing that sucks about optical drives—they're just fucking slow. Oh yeah. You know? Well, that's um, why I, I usually install Windows off of a off of a thumb drive. Yeah. Well, you can't. I mean, I guess you can do it on a Mac. Um, the fastest way to do it, though, which is what I and this is what I do. I just did it today. Disk image. Yeah. You basically what you do is it's super easy. This is for you Mac nerds out there. Ready? Here's what you do: you get a hard drive, like a FireWire hard drive. FireWire is best. Um, you partition it a couple times. I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to ten gigabytes. You pop in the disk that came with your computer or your OS installer. You open up Disk Utility, and then with the disk, with the optical disk, you know, in the drive, you know, your install Mac OS DVD. You you use the Restore tab in Disk Utility, and you essentially restore the optical drive to the partition that you just made and and it basically treats the two volumes as you know it doesn't care if it's a hard drive or whatever and it essentially copies over the whole install cd to that partition you just made on your hard drive and then you can from that point on boot that hard drive as if it were the install cd or dvd and it takes like a fifth of the time it's way faster so yeah it's the um, same thing with windows too i um, mean in windows 7 actually windows 7 installs a lot faster than mac os does mac os is like it, it takes a long time to install, especially at least off of an optical disc. Well, yeah, off an optical disc, you're looking at a minimum of half an hour. Yeah, especially if you have everything. But I just installed OS 10 in about seven minutes off of a hard drive. Yeah, just, just today. It doesn't take long. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. Hey, the future's already here, Dan. We, we don't need live to go to the future. In the future. In some ways, we do actually. It's pretty impressive. It's true. I don't know, but uh, I think that's a, that's a good place to stop. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of places. Any? All right. Well, then uh, we'll get back on track and come up with something for next week, and we'll start there. Yes. Maybe we should talk about what we're working on. You you got a bunch of new stuff cooking. I know. I do have a lot of stuff cooking, so we'll we can talk about that next week. Excellent. All right. All right, man. I'll I'll see you in the future. Catch you later. Bye. (laughs) Bye.